Welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. My name is David Dylan Thomas, and today we're going to talk about the pseudo-certainty effect. And um, pretty short one today. There's not a ton of research out there for this one, but uh, the basic idea is that um, there are times when we act as if we are certain about certain things, when really we aren't. Um, and this shows up a lot when we're asked to make two-stage decisions. So what I mean by that is, like, there's a first stage that is an uncertain outcome, but I'm going to ask you to make uh, uh, a decision about what will happen if, you know, that first stage, if, if we get through that first stage. So an example would be this game where I say, okay, we're going to play a game, it's going to have uh, part one and part two. And there's only a one in four chance you're even going to get through part one. But if you do get through part one, tell me now, would you rather be um, have a 100% chance of winning $30 or an 80% chance of winning $45, right? And I'm going to ask you to make that decision now before you even know if you're going to get through right the first part of the game. Um, and again, one in four chance, 25% chance you're going to make it through the first part. So they ask a bunch of people to make a decision around that. And like, you know, um, most people say, oh, I want a sure one of $30, right? Okay. The next part of the, uh, of the experiment, right? You ask a different bunch of people, hey, just flat out, would you rather have a 25% chance of winning 30 bucks or a 20% chance of winning 45 bucks? Now, most people actually pick 20% chance to win 45 bucks, but here's the thing. The way they phrased all of this, um... 20% chance of winning 45 bucks is the same as saying I want an 80% chance to win 45 bucks right in the first scenario, right? Where there's only one in four chance of getting through. And already this is starting to sound pretty complicated, right? But that's the point, right? When you're asked to make a decision like that, you usually disregard the first phase, right? You sort of disregard the idea that, oh, I only have a one in four chance of making it through that first phase. But if I do, I need to make a decision about what happens when I get there. When you're making that decision, you kind of forget about that whole one in four chance thing and you just assume you're going to make it. And that's the pseudo-certainty, right? You're acting as if it's just a given that you're going to make it through, right, without thinking about what are the actual chances you'll make it through. So this manifests in lots and lots of different weird ways. Like one of the, um, and I feel like I'm always bringing it around to Trump, but sorry, it's just sort of on a lot of people's minds right now. But discussions I've had with friends about this notion that lots of people who um, do not make a lot of money, feel very comfortable and trust Trump who has lots and lots of money, right? Even though lots of people in the past have kind of screwed them over when they've had lots of money. But the persona that he puts out is this notion that, hey, you know, I'm your buddy, I'm your pal, I'm your rich friend who's going to make you rich too. Or just in general, right, this notion of people who do not, do not have a lot of money voting for policies that will only come through for them if they get rich, right? Like you see that happening lots and lots and lots of times throughout history. This isn't limited to Trump. This is just any kind of policy that favors the rich, right? And yet poor people vote for it just because there's a chance someday if they get rich, they want to benefit from that rather than looking at the very depressing probability, especially right now, that you will probably die into the economic class you were born into, right? Like mobility has kind of faltered in the past 10, 20, 30 years. And so like the odds of you actually breaking out of whatever economic class you're in right now are very, very low, right? So that's the first part of the game, right? That's the one in four. It's probably worse than one in four, but let's assume it's one in four, right? Instead, you're making decisions about what you're going to do with your money if you get it. If you get through that one in four, you're just assuming it's a certainty, you're going to get to that other part of the game, and now you're going to make decisions about that. So, um, and really the only kind of, you know, remedy, uh, as, as sort of always the case with these things, is when it comes to big-term decisions like, you know, what policy are you going to vote for, right? Don't just think about the final step, right? Think about all the steps that lead to the thing, right? And ask yourself, 
if, you know, what are the odds of me getting to the part where I'll actually, where this policy will actually be in my favor versus is this policy in my favor now, right? So don't just make that decision for potential future you, make that decision for you like literally right now um, and the sort of odds that you live in right now, which is hard, which can be depressing, but um, is probably going to be better for you in the long run. Because here's the thing, if you vote for the policy that sort of helps you where you are, that actually increases the odds of you getting to, you know, the second part of the game, so to speak. Um, so for lots of reasons, it's a good idea to think about your circumstances right now and the probabilities in your life right now versus if I get to this unlikely outcome, right, um, what am I going to want to do then? Um, hope that makes sense. Like I said, it's a complicated bias, and part of the problem is that it's complicated. Um, so that's all for this week. Um, we will talk more next week uh, for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. This is David Dylan Thomas. See you soon. Mm-hmm.